Hey guys, welcome to Sunday Service. I have a word for you today. We are in a series called Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. And this, this service or this, this, this theme for our year is really to develop a, a, a mindset. Saying it's, it's pretty much this. If I'm a believer, if I'm a Christian, then these are the characteristics that I should be having in my life. If I say that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a member of our church, I'm a, I'm, I'm a part of this community, then these are the things that should be a product of my character, my life being, my actions, my goals, my future, my plans. These are the characteristics that should come out of it, right? And so we, we're really hoping and praying that this coming year we ask these questions about your personal walk. Because there's one thing to profess belief, and there's another thing to actually have a change of character to that belief. A lot of people profess that Jesus Christ is their Lord, yet live their lives that are direct contrary to those beliefs. They have a belief, but their character doesn't actually reflect those beliefs. So at best, at best, they come off as inconsistent. They come off showing God is like a microscope. You know how you look at God as a microscope where sometimes once in a while God shows up and you kind of make something small big, right? God is small in your life, but once in a while, you, you know, you give him praise and you, uh, something happens and you kind of elevate him up a little bit and it's kind of everyone kind of celebrates that. But that's it. That becomes kind of an inconsistent part of your life. It shows up and it disappears. That's, a, that's the best that happens when, you're, when your belief doesn't match your character. But here's the greater thing. Okay, and here's the worst thing is that majority of the time, at best it's inconsistent, but at worst it's hypocritical. It's, it's, hypocritical be, it's hypocritical because here you're saying you believe something, and your life, your actions, the result of your being doesn't even show it. Right? And the problem is not Jesus, it's not who he is or what he, or, uh, what he stands for. The problem is always in the believer, in the way they exercise their belief. There's no change in their life. The issue is always in the believer, right? When people have an issue with the church, uh, I saw, the, uh, saw this thing and said, you know, I can't come to church because, you know, people are uh, messed up at church or hypocritical at church. Oftentimes, we become the barrier and the wall for why people can't approach Jesus Christ, right? And what takes that change? What creates that change? What helps develop that change? It's discipline, real, honest discipline, a life of internal spiritual disciplines that takes the truth of God's word, God's life, and dig it deep down into your life so that the truth becomes who you are and, and it becomes to shape the way you're, you, you think, shapes the way you feel, and shape the way you act. It takes discipline to go from belief to a character change. In the last two weeks, we've talked about worship as part of that discipline, why we worship, what is worship, ascribing ultimate value to God with your mind, with your heart, with your being, and then how do you do that with, in your work, in your home, in your church? And so this week, uh, next two weeks, I'm going to share about community building, which is another part of our spiritual How do we, how is community building part of the discipline to actually grow us and shape us and change us and form us in a way that goes from belief to character, Okay. Community is a fundamental discipline that creates character change. And this week, we're going to address the, what Christian community is, and next week, we're going to show how it is to be lived out in your homes, in your uh, church, in your life, all right? So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Let me read this for us first, and then we'll dive into it. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. That's what the word of God is saying. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. This is Paul uh, speaking here. He's saying, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. What is the nature of the Christian community? The nature of the Christian community is this family community that we have here. What does it look like? What are the three characteristics, the traits that comes out of here? There's three actually that I want to share with you to start off, okay? We're going to start with verse 10. It says this, be devoted. Everybody say devoted. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The passage talks about the word devoted, right? And it, it sounds sentimental, to be devoted to someone in brotherly love, but it's so much more deep than that because when the Romans back then saw Christians living with each other, interacting with each other, people who were different from one another, different races, different class, different standings, and they were devoted to each other. It was a radical thing for the Romans. It was offensive to them, actually, to see this eclectic group of people all of a sudden treating each other like family treating each other like brothers and sisters, having their goods and their possessions as a common product, saying, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, we are here together. It was offensive to the Romans. It was offensive to that time. But it was something that, 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 that is a unique trait for the Christian life because the first characteristic I want to talk to you about, about the Christian community is that it's non-selective. Okay? It's non-selective. The word devoted here, it's like, um, this word is like a natural, deep, imprinting, right? When you meet somebody who is a believer, something about the idea, the understanding that it requires, uh, it doesn't require effort on any party. It's this natural imprinting that goes on. The moment you know that they're a believer, all of a sudden there is a natural connection. There is this bridge that is being built. There is an understanding of where you came from or where I came from, the journey that we went on, knowing that you were once a lost cause and you found redemption, a new life in Christ, and knowing that that was part of my story and our story is similar in that way, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. There becomes this bridge that unspoken, you may not know anything about them, but all of a sudden there is a kindness and the gentleness and the devotion that you have for this person who may not be in the same class as you, same pedigree as you, same work status as you, same money um, level as you. you just all of a sudden devoted to them. There's a connection to them. People that you would no, not normally choose to actually hang out with as your peers. But the moment you know, all of a sudden there's a connection. There is a kindness. There's a, 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 a bridge that's built there, a bond that is uh, bringing together. And one of the tests of the Christian faith, 
One of the tests that the Christian faith is alive and working in you is that you feel love for all Christians. You start realizing that bank account doesn't matter. You start realizing that your temperaments and jokes and status doesn't matter. There's a connection, there's a bond, there's a love, a connection with them that you usually don't even feel with people in your own station. So no matter if you're dealing with somebody who's from a third world country, poor, or you're dealing with someone from a white collar uh, workplace, a little bit richer, all of a sudden, all those things, they're laid waste because in your mind, we all know one thing. We're all sinners saved by grace. That it's not about how much you have or don't have. It's not about how much you know or don't know. It's not about how much you've done or have not done. We're all sinners saved by grace, which means we're all on the same level. And we've all felt the love and the redemption of God. So there's this bond that comes. Let me, show you, let me tell you what I mean. So uh, seven years ago, when Seth, before Seth was born, I had this thing called reactive arthritis. You guys remember that? When I was, when I was limping around church all the time? Like, reactive arthritis is like where half of your body has arthritis, right? And it's like the, your, your immune system is eating your joints. It was really weird. I didn't even know I was having that. I came back from Cambodia. We thought we just ate something bad, and it just, it just st- stayed with you. So I was just popping ibuprofen for, like, months, right? Because the doctor was telling me, just take ibuprofen. I'm like, how much do I take? Like, until it stops. I'm like, okay, right? So I, I was taking like, you know, 800 milligrams each, uh, each four hours, you know, each day I was taking about 3,200. After a while, I was thinking, this can't be good for me, right? I'm pretty sure this can't be good for me, you know? And eventually, uh, Bob, or uh, Anwang, who's uh, our doctor, he said, hey, what, how about we, you go see a rheumatologist? And again, I, I, had, I had no idea what a rheumatologist was, right? I was like, there's a doctor for arthritis. Like, oh, that's a real thing, all right? I said, like, okay. So I saw this, I went to the UC Irvine uh, Hospital, and I met Dr. Lowry. Okay, he's the head of rheumatology department there. So I, I, I came in, but you know, I was limping. I, couldn't, I could barely bend over. I could barely walk. I, was, it was, I couldn't even take my shirt correctly. So I just sat there, and he was just you know, asking me questions. And he was like, he's basically diagnosing. He's like, you are a classic case of reactive arthritis. I'm like, oh, okay, well, good to know, right? It's like, so I told him, like, so is it treatable? He's like, it is. I'm like, okay, well, good to know. Then he started asking me other questions. He said, hey, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, you are, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, of a Christian church. I'm like, yes, of a Christian church. He said, then we're brothers. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> cool. And then he looked at me and he says, Tony, I have a responsibility for your health. Not simply because I'm a doctor, but because I'm your brother. Right? And I was like, bro, you don't even know me. Right? You don't even know me. But he just sat there and said, let me pray for you. And we're going to get you on this uh, regimen of uh, methotrexate. I think it was the medicine I was taking. You're going to be fine in, in a couple months. He's okay. So I sat there, and I was like, we're going to pray? He's like, yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And he's, he prayed for me. Again, I've never met this guy before in my life. I haven't known, like, his background. But all of a sudden, in that moment, in that place, in this office, I was like, dude, I know this guy, right? We were cut from the same cloth, meaning we were both sinners who recognized our need for our God and need for our salvation, and we called upon Jesus Christ to come and save us, and we're in this place here. So I didn't see him as head of the rheumatology department. I didn't see him as this, you know, smart guy. And he didn't see me as a pastor or, or he just, we're just brothers in that room praying for each other. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? In the same way, I remember, I, was, I remember going over to, you know, third world country and I'm sitting out um, in, uh, in the Philippines with, uh, with this pastor of mine, Pastor Reyes, that I still keep in contact with. And he says, tell him I'm going to take you out somewhere today, Tony. I said, all right, cool. So I, he took me out to this, to this you know, these, uh, 
the way they get rid of garbage back then was they have these huge places and they just burn their garbage. You know what I'm talking about? They just burn their, it's how they get rid of it. But then they have this whole village within that area to do what? They will come into these areas and they'll, they'll take as much plastic as they can from and they'll just gather it and gather it. And that's how the people in that village make a living. Right? They'll gather as much of this plastic as they can. They wrap it up and they'll sell it. But you need a lot to actually make a living. So that's what they do day in, day out. Just coming in. And so he dragged, he took me out there and we're in the middle of like mountains of trash, because they have mountains, and then you can smell the, the burning plastic on your right, you can smell the burning plastic on your left, and we're just sitting and standing in this middle area, and I said, okay, so what are we doing here, Pastor Ray? He's like, we're going to have church. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, there's a church in this location, right? Is it there is? He's like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, we see these families coming out from like all over, okay, carrying out like canopies and pulling it up, and they all got their little chairs, and they sat down. And, he, and I, was just, I sat down with him. He was, just, he, was, he, was, he was preaching. He says, and I sat next to this person next to me to my right, to my left. I'm just sitting there. I'm listening to the preach. Mean, he was preaching in uh, Tagalog. I didn't know what he was saying. But, like, you know, we're sitting next to each other. But they were singing. We're, we're hearing. And I just realized, these are my brothers, right? It doesn't matter if I'm from America or they're here in this place. We're cut from the same cloth. There's a devotion there, right? The uniqueness of the Christian community is this, guys. Do you guys feel that way for your brothers and sisters? Is there a selectivity in the way you interact with each other? Right? There's a key word that we always use here. There's, our church sometimes is very clicky, right? Clicky, that's the word, right? very clicky. You know? But is, there, is there a selectivity in the way you see people, hang with people, interact with people? Are there only certain people that you want to be with? Because the mark of... Christian community that's part of your life is that you are able to be devoted whether to somebody who fits really well into your fold or does not. There is no selectivity here, but there's a devotion to each other wherever you are at, right? I remember the first time I came to this church 10 years ago, and I was here, and I felt very insecure when I first came to this church. You know why? Because I was like, I was like, a, I was like a, a fish out of water. Like, I was... I was at this Korean church. I was barely doing, I was doing ministry to kids, right? And also I came here and there was actual adults. And I was like having to talk to them. I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? And one of the adults I had to talk to was like this, this, this you know, this uh, respected doctor. And I'm like, like, you going to listen to me? Like, I'm just a 20-something-year-old kid, you know? And you're like a 40-year-old, you know, professional, you know? And the thing that was so crazy was that he looked at me and says, hey, in this church, we're family. There's, no, there's not about status here, man. And I was like, huh. So he, he brought a lot of security to that. He, he, he showed me a lot of different. Not to say we talk like we're just normal now. I, don't, I, mean, I see him as a doctor, but I don't see him like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, doctor, right? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, hey, what's up, man? Right? We talk to each other. Like, because there's, there's a devotion that comes there. There's no selectivity. There's a connection. And you guys, do you see that? Do you feel that? All right? Another mark of a Christian community, right, is that there, look at verse 9. It says this, love must be sincere, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It must be sincere. It must be clear. It means that one of the marks of the Christian community is that there's no privacy. I know, and, 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 and some of you guys are like, what, right? Just like any family, just like any family, there's a level of privacy that should be honored, right? Like, you know, if your kid says, honor my privacy, okay, cool. But if I see that you have a bunch of joints in your, 
in your, in your cupboard or it fell out of your backpack, guess what? There's no more privacy for you, okay? I'm going to take the door from your house or from your, from your room, and you'll get it back when you fix yourself. There's no privacy. But there's, there's levels of privacy that's, that needs to be honored. But at the same time, there's a level of responsibility that family members have for one another. The Bible says love must be sincere. You must actually look at the people next to you and realize I have a responsibility for them. I have a responsibility for their life, for their walk, what they're doing, which means that if the people around you are family, who you date, the way you spend your money, your choices, your decisions, your health, your ambitions, your goals, all all a part of family conversations. You guys get that? It's all part of that conversation. It can't be like, oh, I kind of like my... My Christian life, I want my private life to be private here, guys. I mean, church, we'll talk about church stuff, right? Anything church stuff you want to talk about, we can do that. But I want to keep my other life private. The answer is no. That's not the mark of a Christian community. Love must be sincere. Because if I actually love you and you're part of my family, I'm going to wonder, hey, what are you doing with this person? I'm going to ask the question, hey, what are you doing with your finances? Hey, the decision you're making it's kind of a little bit questionable. Can you explain it to me at least? Right? What are you doing? There's a sincerity of love because you're wondering and you're asking the question, cling to what is, uh, avoid what is evil, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. Because you're watching them and you're, if, you're, if they're living their life and the decisions that they're making and their acts that they're living out is moving them towards a trajectory that is going to be hurtful or evil or uh, painful for them, you got to say something to them. You can't just sit back and be passive about that. There's a responsibility that you have in that relationship, right? There's a responsibility on whether what you're doing is evil or good. The Bible says cling to what is good. And so I know that a lot of times you may feel like, hey, so-and-so, they don't have the right to speak to my life. You know, you're right. Some, some random person that you've never had a, con- uh, a conversation with or connection with at the church shouldn't just come up to you and just tell you what to do with your life. But at the same time, you should be asking the question, hey, are there people in my life that I've, that, that in this community that I've actually um, connect with, built my life into? Am I part of a small group that I can share these things, that people can speak truth into my life? Am I part of a salt or a discipleship that people can say truth into my life, Right? Can you, one of the, when I was at the youth group retreat, I was, tell, I was asking some of the kids, some of them has salt leaders, some of them don't, right? So I was doing this, uh, this seminar called Biblical Manhood, and I asked one of the kids who had, who had a uh, salt, I was like, hey man, tell me about your salt. What, what do you love about your salt? What do you love about your salt leader? And he was like, it was Thomas, he was like, you know, one of the things that he just keeps, he just keeps me accountable to what I'm doing in my life. I'm like, and then, and then the, the other guys are like, what do you mean he keeps you accountable? He's like, he asked me about the girl I'm dating, he's making sure that I'm doing it right. He asked me about, like, what am I thinking about my future? And, like, am I, am I really making right plans? He's, 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 he's stepping into my life, and he's asking these questions. He's keeping me accountable, right? And the other kids were like, man, I wish I had a salt leader. I was like, we have a lot of guys in this church, right? <laughs> Y'all should think about being salt leaders, right? But that's the thing. There's a responsibility that's part of that, you know? And I know that sometimes we hate it because we, 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 don't want, we, we, like, we don't want to pry. But if you love somebody and they're in your house, you're not just going to let them move towards something that's bad. You're going to pry a little bit. You're going to ask. There is no privacy to a level, right? There is no privacy to a level, right? You're going to ask. You're going to talk. You say, hey, man, your health. I'm worried about you. You sure you should be eating that all the time, Right? 
The marks of a Christian community. Non-selectivity. There's a devotion. There's no privacy. Here's the third one, though. There's no safety. Let me say what I mean by that. Look at verse 11 to 12. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 15, it goes into say, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If you take seriously what this passage is saying about your responsibility over your brothers and sisters, you would find yourself exhausted. Right? You would find yourself actually exhausted. There's an emotional component here. There's an emotional component. It's not safe for you to be in this community sometimes because it means that you're going to be having to put yourself emotionally out there, that you're going to have to be vulnerable, that you're going to have to deal with these things, right? The Bible says it means that it, it, when you're dealing with this community and the people around you, it should have an effect on you. It should have an emotional effect on you. It should actually hurt you and burden you what's going on in their life. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn is easy. If they're, if they're in trouble and they're having a hard time, it's easy to mourn with them, right? It's easy to cry with them. It's easy to be alongside them. It's easy to pray for them. It's easy to help. But rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a harder one. You know why? Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a harder component because what if you've been waiting for a job position? What if you've been waiting for a promotion an ability to buy a house, to start a family, and you see everyone around you doing it first, having it first, getting it first. The Bible says rejoice for those who rejoice. That's harder, isn't it? It, it puts you out there. You have to be vulnerable. It's not safe. It's easy to mourn with someone who is suffering. But it's harder to rejoice with someone who is doing better and is more successful, quote-unquote, than you. That's real love, though. That's real love to be out there and say, I'm, I'm really happy for you. I'm happy about that promotion. I'm happy that you got that place. I'm happy that you're starting a new family. I'm happy you're getting married. I'm happy you found somebody. I'm happy for you. To rejoice with them. This passage is saying it's not emotionally safe to be a brother or sister. You can't be detached from them. You have to care. You can't just be like, oh, they got... They, Great things are happening to them, or whatever. I don't want to talk about it, right? Because if I talk to them, it's going to just mess me up. I'm going to get all angry and bitter and just, you know, self-conscious about my life and whatever. I just want to deal with them. So I'll just kind of ignore that until I can get over it myself. No. The Bible says you can't detach from them. Your fervor in serving should be just as high. You can't give up on them. And when they're hurting, you're hurting. And when they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. That's what the, our whole phrase at TLC, right and die, it, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, 27. It's like if, you, if one of us suffer, we suffer together. But if one of us is honored, we rejoice together. It's not easy to do this. But that is the mark of the Christian community. Do you guys see that in this? Are we moving towards that? Do we have that? Because that's what we're trying to build over and over Everything we're doing, we're trying to build this community, a community that's non-selective, where it does not matter who walks through that door, but if they are a follower of Jesus Christ, they are my brother, they are my sister. That if they're in this place and they're part of this community, part of this family, there is no privacy. You, you, you got to speak truth into their life. You got to ask them questions that's going to be difficult for them to hear because you love them. You're dealing with them. You, you're watching them. If they're moving towards evil, you got to say, hey, you got to stop i got to stop you. I want you to cling to what is good. 
And it means that also you got to be emotionally connected. You can't be emotionally detached. You can't just be apathetic. There must be an empathy there. There must be a love that's part of that journey, part of that life. Right? I remember when um, Pastor Lin doesn't get mad often. You guys know that? Pastor Lin is a very straight, arrow, narrow, very good guy. He's like, he's, he's always positive. Always, he doesn't get mad often. But once in a while, once in a while, he gets it, right? Once in a while, he gets it. And, he just, and, you, get, and you get kind of nervous. Like, oh, oh, I think he's mad, right? I think he's mad. And sometimes, you know, like, because you're so used to him not being mad, so that when he gets mad, you kind of like, what are you doing? Like, get over it. You know, like, you're like, hey, this is not you. Stop it, right? But the worst thing you can do is just do that. The worst thing you can do is just say, hey, get over it. So, you know, like, going on, I remember the one time we got mad, I, you know, we came in and he said, hey, hey, this doesn't seem like it's like you. Is something wrong? Okay? Is, is something going on in your life that we can pray for you about? Something going on? Right? Because you just, you, just, you just lashed out. That's not cool. Right? Everyone's doing their best. Right? Not cool. Can you... Uh, something wrong. And I remember, it, it was so funny. He's like, yeah, I shouldn't. I'm sorry. I was like, oh, no, don't, don't bother. Just, hey, something wrong? Just let me know. Let me know. I'm here for you, bro. Like, you let me know, right? And that should be the way it is. There, there are days when some of us are going to have good days, and there are days when we're going to have bad days. There are days when we're going to say something that's going to be offensive or mean or wrong, but the worst thing we can do is just separate ourselves from them rather than actually coming, coming to them and say, hey, what you doing? I'm, I'm concerned. Can I help? What's going on? Let me be a part of this. Invite me in. Give me your space. Share with me. All right? Let me, let me help carry this for you. You guys get me? That is the mark of a Christian community. That's the mark of what... And church is not perfect, and I wish that we can do this perfectly, but we're not. We're growing. We're learning. We're developing. We're getting deeper into the Word. And as, that's doing, as, as we're going that, we're being sanctified as a body, as a community, and we're growing into that. And I'm okay how long it takes us, right? But as long as we're moving towards this, that your spirit is not about selectivity, let's get over this click issue. Our spirit is not about, you know, mining privacy and just kind of leaving people alone all the time. No, you got to speak into their life. Love on them. If you're watching them and something's going on, you got to speak into their life. And lastly, there is, there is no safety here. You got to invest. You got to jump into it. You got to dive into it. You're like, and I know a lot of us, we're, we're kind of selfish in the area. It's like, I don't want to dive in if they're not going to dive in. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Someone's got to start, guys. Someone's got to start. But I promise you, once you start, it just flows. Once you start, it moves. Once you start beginning to let yourself out there, everyone begins to move that same way. Okay? But here's the thing. Okay? So that's, that's, the, that's the uniqueness of the Christian community. Right? But, it, but here's, it's not simply, the uniqueness of it is not just about our bond and how close we are and the fact that we see each other's family. Because I think a lot of communities have that. Right? A lot of communities can create that. Right? You know, the, the, the phrase, these are my people, right? You know, we don't have, like, um, church anymore, but we have, like, clans now. Like, and it's our friends. We call them my people, right? And, you know, those are communities that are, like, like, family, when friends are like family, okay? And I think we can find a lot of those communities like that. That's not Christian. That's true. But what's unique about the Christian community is not about simply how we, how we love each other, but that's also how we treat outsiders, it's not simply how we love each other, but the uniqueness of the Christian community is how we treat those who are outside of this community. 
Okay, look at uh, verse 14 and then 1721. Verse 1721. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying the uniqueness of the Christian community is how we treat those who are not part of it. See, every community has its boundaries. Make sense? Every community has a way of dealing with outsiders. And if there's a community that says, we, no, we don't, we don't have outsiders. We're just inclusive all, all around us. And we just accept everybody, right? That itself is exclusive. You guys get that? Because you only accept everybody who accepts what you're saying. Because if they don't accept what you're saying, then they're outside of your community. It doesn't matter how, much, how, how, how nice you phrase it. Every community is exclusive. Every community has its boundaries of who are in and who are out. Does that make sense? Right? If every community is like, the real question you have to ask is if every community is like this, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're Christian, whether you're non-Christian, whatever community, whatever clan, whatever tribe, whatever people that you belong to, every community is exclusive. There is those who are in and those who are out. But the real question that is unique and different is how do these communities, which community actually make room for those who are outside? Which community actually accepts those who are outside, makes space for those who are outside? And, I'm not gonna, and, and, and the truth of the Bible is this, the Christian community is the most exclusive community, but it is also the most inclusive of its community. It is the most inclusive, exclusive community out there. Because in Christianity, what do we have? We have a man dying on a cross for his enemies. We have a man who refuses to strike back even when the enemies came after him. And if that exclusive truth is what we believe in, what we hold to, can you imagine? That's not the way we see people then. We don't see people who are outside as, you don't belong to this community. We see people outside as what? There's no such thing as a lost cause. If my God went to the cross beaten, hated, hurt by those who were enemies, and he laid himself down for that, then I'm not going to treat you any less than that. I'm not going to exclude you from that. The real question is, every community is exclusive, but which community, exclusive truth, leads you to be open and kind to those who are different from you? And the, here's the thing, beautiful thing about Christianity. Christianity does that. If you live it out, if, you, you got to live it out, though. You, you, you can't just say it. A belief that becomes character change requires that. It requires that if you are going to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, then that must automatically mean what? If your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Love your enemy. Do not repay those who persecute you or curse you. Pray for them. This is real things. Those who you can't possibly feel like who has wronged you, the Bible says, forgive them. Those who are different from you, it says, include them. Those who are outside from you, it says, bring them in. Do not repay evil for evil. Bless those who persecute you. 
Wish them good, love upon them, respect them. At the heart of the Christian faith is a resource and a power that allows for you to do that. That is the most unique and most powerful thing about this Christian community. Every other community, it's either you're in or you're out. It's either you're in or you're out. The Christian community is, hey, look, this is what we believe. This is what we hold to. Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. But I will bend over backwards to make sure that our relationship is good. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that you and I are in good standings, that I am respecting you, that I am loving you, that I am wishing you good, that I am doing good upon you, even if you repay good for evil. If you're hungry, I will feed you. If you are thirsty, I will give you something to drink. I will do good unto you. And the Bible says that when you do such things, it will heap burning coals on their heads, knowing that they who do evil for you, your response to them has always been good. You guys get me? That is the Christian community that's unique and beautiful and has changed the course of history. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes our culture missed that about us. That's why sometimes our culture looks at our church and looks at, our, look at the church in general and think about how just narrow and bigoted and, and broken we are. Sometimes the people at your workplace, you don't want to talk about your Christian faith because you're thinking, if I live out, if I talk, tell them I'm a Christian, they're going to have all these weird sentiments or weird thoughts about who I am and what I do and who I But the Bible says what? Love upon them. Respect them. Do good upon them. Understand them. Walk alongside them. Are you doing that? All right. What is unique about the Christian community? What, what is the Christian community? It is a family nature where there is no selectivity, devotion to each other, no privacy, speaking truth to each other, right? There's no safety, being vulnerable with each other. What is the Christian community? It's the uniqueness of what? That we are exclusive and yet we are the one who seeks to find inclusiveness with everybody else. And where do we get the power to do this? Ultimately here, this is, this is the picture. You know, the whole Bible is a story of broken family, right? It is, it, is, it is a story of broken family. That God made Adam his son, his first human son. And the rebellion of Adam to God. The rebellion of the heavens with God. Right? And then we see the repercussion of that family brokenness. Abel being killed by Cain, his own brother. Abel's whose blood cried out for vengeance, cried out for this. We see throughout the line of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see just brokenness in family nature, people. The power that brings the family back is seeing what Jesus did to bring you into this new family of his. Jesus Christ comes in to restore this broken family, this broken nature. His blood was spilt, but instead of crying out for vengeance, his blood cried out for our acquittal. Right? Jesus was denied, betrayed, handed to his death by his own brothers, people who were his clan, people who were his tribe, people who were his. He was denied, betrayed, handed to the death, but instead of cursing, Instead of hating, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His blood demands that the Father gives you 
the unconditional, infinite, endless, patient love. His blood brought you into the family. His blood took you out of the trajectory of where you were going with your life decision. His blood stopped you from moving towards hell and the highway of death. His blood freed you and put you back on to the straight and narrow that brings you into redemptive graces and the family that is God. His blood brings you into the fold of the Father's love. He came to pay the penalty for all the ways you have failed to be a brother and sister. Jesus Christ comes and deals with the barrier between you and God. He bridges it so that you, now and forever, are called sons and daughters of God. Welcome into the family. Honored and elevated. Lifted as prince and princesses. Royalty among family humans. That's what his blood has given to us. And then when you understand that, when you understand that, how could you possibly look at your brother in your church and think of them like, you know what, I can't hang with them. I can't be with them. My God died for them. Your God bled for them. He poured out his blood for them. His blood cried out for the acquittal of them. And yet somehow you think you have the arrogance to say, I don't want to be with them. To exclude people from the church. You don't belong because you don't fit our mold. You don't fit, you don't fit the mold. Your mold don't fit with God. God has to bend down to speak to you. He had to become human to engage with you. You don't fit God's mold. And yet he did everything he can to bring you into his family. And you would have the arrogance to say, you don't fit into this community because you don't fit our mold. What is our mold? Asian, I guess, maybe, right? What is our mold? We don't have a mold. We are people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are people who are sinners, condemned, and yet saved by Jesus who says, now my blood will cry out for their peace, for their life, for their acquittal. Father, they are ours. Receive them as such. That's the Christian community. That's the life we ought to live. That's how we ought to engage. So let's say, let me tell you guys. If the worst thing you can do is be passive in this community. The worst thing you can do is be a passive onlooker in this community. If Christ would go to the length of the cross to bring you home, you think your Christian walk of just believing is there? No. Your Christian walk is about, this is my belief that I'm going to go to the cross for these people. I'm going to do what I can for my brothers and my sisters. I'm going to put myself out there in vulnerability for my brothers and my sisters. I'm going to do what's going to be hard, but I'm going to ask the hard questions. I'm not going to shrink back because I love them. I want good for them. I want them to see they might reject you. They might hate you. They might not like it. But it doesn't mean you don't say it. If you're a parent, you know this, right? If you're, I, think, I think as a parent, I think, I think if you guys have good parents, you would have known this, that, yeah, oftentimes your parents won't give you your privacy. They'll keep nudging and prodding and pushing. But ultimately, for what? For your good. Because when you look back on it, you're like, man, that was, my character is who I am because of them. I mean, 
they're broken, so you're probably broken because of them too, but right? <laughs> but overall, right, overall, the point is, when you're willing to put yourself out there and nudge, poke, draw, it is to bring them to a place that is better for the good. You guys get me? And so my prayer for our church is not just for our collective here, for our bondedness, our family, but my prayer for our church is also for this heart of saying, hey, this can't be it. We have a kingdom to move. We have people out there that God's calling us to engage with. You guys are in professional fields. You guys are engaging with people, right? When they look at you, what they should see is a community that they love. You know, um, my, uh, my wife has a nephew and niece, right? Uh, broken family, really broken family. But sometimes they come out and they hang with us for Christmas or for Thanksgiving. They come in, and, you know, when they come to our house, and, you know, we just constantly have people over, like constantly have people over. So they're kinda, they get kind of weirded out sometimes. They're like, and, and then they, and they hear us talking all the time. Like, you're like, we're talking about, like, hey, how are you? Right? Which is very basic, right? How are you? Right? What's going on with your life? Is everything good? And then, you know, we, we start asking them questions. Like, hey, you know, like, so what do you guys do? What do you guys do in your family? It's like, yeah, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. Like, this is a very, this is a very weird dynamic you have here, that, uh, uncle, right, auntie. Right? This is a weird, what, what do you guys do all the time? It's like, this, that's the church. That's our community. That's what we do. This is how we engage with people, you know? And they're, they're, they're trying to engage with you. Be open to them, all right? And they're like, yeah, it's kind of weird, man, but I like it. They say, can we come back? I'm like, yeah, come back, all right? We have a room for you. Come and stay with us anytime you like. When they look at you at your workplace, in your family, what they should see is a life that you live in such a way that it's built the community. So let me, let me go back to Dr. Lowry, right? So here I was. I'm sitting there, right? I'm a little, it's my first time ever being prayed by, by in a doctor's office. Because I hate going to doctors, by the way. I, I, I despise it. I, if I go, I have to be dying for me to go, okay? So if I'm in there, I should be half dead already. So I'm in there, I'm, which I was. I was half paralyzed from the left side, right? So I sat down. I was just praying. And he's praying for me. And then the, his, um, his uh, I don't know what they call it, intern? I'm not an intern, but like his... Uh, Understood? No, it's not understood. I don't know what they call it. But like the guy who just kind of follows the guy around, right? Basically, right? So he walks in and he's watching us pray, right? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. He said, no, no, no. It's okay, sir. This is what we do, right? This guy's a believer. I'm a believer. And I'm just like, dude, I'm the pastor. This guy's he's, he's doing all the preaching for me. He's like, go ahead. Just keep going, bro, right? And the guy says, oh, that's great. And, you know, like, so, uh, and so, he, and so he gives him like, hey, this is, he's going to go on a regimen of methotrexate, tell him the information, all that good stuff. And then guy comes along, he starts talking, he says, you know what's funny, man, Tony? I was like, what's, like, Dr. Lowry does that with all of his Christian patients. Like, is there like some, do you guys all know each other? I'm like, no. <laughs> My first time meeting him. I said, that's so weird. I was like, yeah, that's, that's the church. You know, and I hope that uh, you learn something from Dr. Lowry, right? So let's get out of here. <laughs> it just gives me out. But that's the heart of it. You guys get me? Right? That's what I'm praying, that it's seen, that it's seen in your life. Let's pray.